response to the climate and ecological crisis requires heaps of innovation. We need to transform entire industries, reskill the workforce, and create new jobs. That's one huge challenge, but one giant opportunity. But how does this affect you and your sector? Content with Purpose partners with professional member associations and trade bodies to delve into the future of their industries, asking the tough questions and showcasing the innovation propelling our net zero ambitions. Leading the way to a world beyond waste, a podcast series produced by Content with Purpose in partnership with the Chartered Institution of Wastes Management. And here's our host, Mark Shaler. Hello, and welcome to Leading the Way to a World Beyond Waste, a CIWM and Content with Purpose podcast series in which we explore the resources and waste sector's role in our transition to a low-carbon, resource-efficient, circular, fairer, regenerative, and hopefully better economy. I'm Mark Shaler, and for over 30 years, I've been helping companies and organisations to understand what sustainability means to them, helping them develop strategies that truly embrace the transformative opportunities that come from our transition to net zero. And I genuinely believe that, that although business has created most of the world's problems, it's the only thing that can solve them. And with this podcast series and through the people that we'll meet on the way, I want to know what changes are coming to the waste management and resources sector because of our transition to this low carbon economy and a net zero economy and what that means to those who work in the sector. And I'm really excited about this episode because in this episode, we're going to dig into some of the issues around skills. You know, the big challenges that we face in the world is how we make more money by selling less stuff and how we can attract and retain the best talent in the world. And if there's ever a sector that is going to accelerate our transition, it is the waste and resources sector. So I'm really excited by this. And I'm joined first by Ian Gulland, who is CEO of Zero Waste Scotland. Now, I've had the fortune of working with Zero Waste Scotland over the last 10 years. And and genuinely, it's a pocket of, I I would almost say it kind of innovative rebellion. It's a really incredible project. And Ian's been at the helm for all the time that I've known the organization. So your work, Ian, is exemplary. And now we hear a lot, Ian, and I talk a lot about the looming skills shortage that's going to hit many sectors as we transition to greater and net zero. And, and, and I'm interested in how the waste management and resources sector is going to attract talent um, so that it's not left behind in any way. Yeah, no, thanks, Mark. Thanks for the introductory remarks. Uh, I mean, I think it's, I mean, the start point, I think, is more, much more broader than just the waste sector. I mean, say, say that, I think all industries, all businesses are going to have to think seriously about what skills we're needing. You know, as we, as you said, as we're marching towards kind of net zero, more circular economy, you know, all businesses are going to have to adapt. You know, we're going to hit those targets. Uh, there's going to be a serious change in the way that we do business no matter which sector you're in. So I think there's a real credible, collaborative push for how do we get those types of skills back into our wider economy. So the challenge with the waste and kind of recycling sector is absolutely part of that, but it's much broader. And I think the other thing as well, if you can't do this alone, I mean, you know, we're very obviously very focused on our individual sectors that we work in. Yes, we need to advance those, but actually what's probably more of an opportunity is how do we collaborate with other sectors where those skills are. So rather than trying to, you know, to some extent focus on ourselves, is there much more opportunity to bridge into other sectors, whether that's in academia, in terms of research capability, of knowledge, 
uh, onto other sectors. We've seen that now with the growth of how digital competencies are being applied uh, in other sectors, particularly waste management and recycling. Uh, I was down at Birmingham just a few weeks ago, and I was really taken by them. You know, nearly nearly all stands had a kind of digital uh, context to it in terms of what they were doing. So I think that's that's us bridging into other sectors. So absolutely, we need to think about you know the wider waste and resources sector. But I think the real opportunity for us is to tap into the skills that are already developing in our wider society. How do we start to collaborate with those other individuals and you know sectors to really make sure that we're on the top of our game? Yeah, I, I hear that completely. You put me in mind of two things. Um, back in the eighties, there were these triangle parks that were set up in in the States where they pulled in government, academia, and business. And they tried to create these kind of conversive hubs. Now, we, we didn't really do as well as, as they did when we tried to do it here. Um, but, it, but it makes me think that we need that, that cutting-edge research from universities, the business need, and then the, the public sector, or the rather than public sector, it's such a horrible word, the accelerator sector, which is, which is you. That's, that's what, what, you, what you do. And to co-locate those things... If we begin to do that, we're beginning to move towards um, something that I worked on, God, 20 years ago called sustainable growth parks or urban growth parks. Do you think we could see any anything like that happening in Scotland where we're pulling people together and physically co-locating? And, and, and if so, has there been anything that we've seen before that could teach us a few lessons there? Yeah, I do. I mean, and I, I, I guess the co-location, I mean, I guess we could argue the virtual world, you know, do you actually have to co-locate? Could you create a different type of model? That's always been the challenge, isn't it? How do you create that infrastructure in terms of built environment and bring people together? And in what type of location, uh, you know, you're always trying to seek, you know, seek the perfect solution. But actually, the digital world, you know, you could do it a different way. And I definitely think there's a role for obviously organisations like Zero Waste Scotland and the public sector, as you've said, to really provide that, facilitate that opportunity for businesses, academia to come together. And we're beginning to see it. Um, some of the work that we've been doing, for example, with the Chambers of Commerce in Glasgow, the North East and Dundee, was actually the Chamber of Commerce is acting as that role to bring in local businesses, small medium enterprises, entrepreneurs, as well as some of the bigger kind of you know mainstream businesses in those locations. But actually, then with their reach into academia to bring in the skills to some extent to kind of share up. I mean, obviously, everybody says it's to you know throw the challenges on the table and try and get people to start thinking about those challenges. But it's actually throwing the opportunities on the table and say, here's some real opportunities for local delivery with different collaborative models in terms of supply chains and practitioners coming together in a different way than we've done it before. Uh, absolutely. I definitely think that's the way forward. And, you know, that's, that, I think that's a key role for the public sector, not to think so much about, you know, financing individual uh, projects from time to time, but to bring people together to provide that facilitation role and, it's, and it does work at a local level. I think that's the key for me. You know, our advancement at the Circular Economy in Scotland, I think the biggest penetration we've had is through that kind of cities, regions, really tailored support uh, to what's happening on the ground where people understand the opportunities, they've bespoke to their location, you know, the businesses have bespoke to that location, they understand each other and they have their own networks and they know how to collaborate. I think that's one of the key things we can see happening here in Scotland. That's really interesting. And that sparked a question I'm going to ask Steve in a minute about the role of, because obviously within within business waste removal and, and resource removal, we've got both public and private sector partners. So I'm interested in how we can kind of bring that that conversation in, in terms of, in terms of demand. Leading the way to a world beyond waste. This episode is sponsored by Smart Environmental Support Services and Norse Group. 
Part of the Smart Solutions Group, Smart Environmental Support Services provides innovative recruitment services to the water, waste and recycling sectors. Through its groundbreaking joint venture model, the Norse Group provides comprehensive and flexible waste collection and environmental services to over 330,000 households. You can learn more about their work on our digital series website, worldbeyondwaste.ciwm.co.uk. Leading the way to a world beyond waste. Also joining us today is Steve Palfrey. Steve is chair of the uh, Waste Group of ADEPT. And, and Steve, you can explain a little bit actually about what ADEPT is and what you do. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, so I'm Steve Palfrey. I'm uh, the Assistant Director for Environment and Waste at Suffolk County Council. And for the last couple of years, I've been the chair of ADEPT's Waste Group. So ADEPT is the Association of Directors of Environment, Economy, Planning and Transport. So place directors working in upper tier authorities across the country. So that's county councils and unitary councils. And what kind of skills are we going to need or are going to be needed in the sector? And how do we upskill those that are already in the sector? Good question. I think in, in terms of what sorts of skills, it's really broad. In the waste sector specifically, there's a, a real range of roles that is going to need to expand massively. So drivers, collectors, roles at treatment and processing facilities. But it's much, much wider than that. We need to move much more away from end-of-pipe solutions, so treating waste, recycling material, and more into repair and refurbishment, upcycling of materials. And there's some great examples. You may have come across the Renew Hub, Greater Manchester Waste Disposal Authority, working with Suez. Uh, and providing incubator opportunities for local charities, small businesses, uh, voluntary organisations to get into the upcycling and repair and refurbishment space. Uh, But it is broader than that as well. So new product design needs to be thinking about circular design. Uh, Economists and policymakers need to be creating the architecture of the circular economy. So almost every role you can think of that puts products on the shelves or avoids putting those products on the shelves needs to be rethought through the circular economy lens, I would suggest. Yeah, I get that completely. I co-ran a project called The Great Recovery some years ago. I ran the event and didn't run the project. The aim was to do exactly that, bring designers and manufacturers in the public sector together and despite our best efforts, that still hasn't happened, Steve. You know, when, when people are designing, whether it be a, a pad like this or a set of headphones like this, they're not talking to, to the waste side of things. They may, they may talk to a private company, may. But on the whole, I think they're making decisions that are based on cost rather than whole life costs. And I'm not entirely certain how we, um, how we can solve that problem, actually. But to, to that draw you two together a little bit, like a running stitch, we talked about this need to bring you know, business and uh, public sector, the accelerating sector, and um, research together as a, um, as a representative of local authority as well as, well as a trade organization or a, collective, a collection. How do you think businesses can come together with uh, waste collection authorities and waste disposal authorities or unitaries in order to, to kind of plan how resources are preserved and used, how we could hold on to the atoms rather than the kilograms. How, how, does, how do you think that's going to work, Steve? The, the one sector that you've not mentioned in that 
intro there, Mark, I guess, is government. And I think there's a key role for government there, which is around shifting the economic model. Uh, so there's been lots of talk about EPR, extended producer responsibility. It's coming in for packaging. It's also being looked at for lots of other material streams. And I think that's a real game changer. So that means exactly as you say, that producers have to think about the full life cycle costs of the products that they produce because they'll be responsible for paying the costs of dealing with that material, whether it's as waste or whether it's recycling it. And if we get the economic instruments right, that can really facilitate much greater join-up between all the sectors that you said. So the designers and producers of those materials thinking in a different way about the products that they're going to put on our shelves and then engaging with authorities about what can and can't be recycled, how those things are best collected to maximise uh, public participation, make things as easy as possible for households and businesses across the country to do the right thing and get material back into circulation rather than wasted. And to think of innovative ways to avoid that material ever ending up as a end-of-life waste. So we need to get much more into the, the reuse space. And EPR will really help with that, I would suggest. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, those early produced responsibility regulations have changed design a little bit, but they're just seen as a tax by many of those large organizations. They just pay their fee. They're not truly embracing this. And that really, really worries me because the most powerful tool we've got in terms of reducing environmental impact is creativity and design, and we forget to use it, and we just use accountancy. Ian, from your perspective, how do you see this integration of design, business, local authority, and, and you know the ability to change the, the microeconomics is one thing. The ability to change macroeconomics and resource costs, that's kind of out of even national government's control. What do the next two or three years look like from your perspective in that partnership space? I think one of the challenges we have is, you know, there are two conversations going on. There's a conversation around waste management you know, EPR, we directive, you know, all of that language is very waste orientated. And, you know, I've been in that sector for, you know, 20, 30 years. I know it well, there's loads of events, but it is quite inaccessible for a lot of other businesses, particularly entrepreneurs who are out there on another part of the journey of the circular economy, very excited in that space, thinking about new business models, thinking about new technologies that could be applied to material substitutions or a whole range of other opportunities in that circular space. And we see that quite often in Scotland. It's really hard to bring them together in that collaborative space, simply because I think we're talking two different languages. And once we get into that kind of waste thing about EPR and all that, it can be quite, you know, it can switch off a lot of entrepreneurs because it's just too difficult to understand and see how they can really get into Because what they're really interested in is either accessing uh, materials at a local opportunity or they are thinking of a different business model and trying to enter a new market. So I think to try and get over that, that's again going back to sound like a broken record about the work we've done in the cities, using people like the Chambers of Commerce to bring both public sector and businesses, big and small, and some of the board's entrepreneurs to come together to try and create a different dialogue. And that has been, to a degree, quite successful. We've seen some innovative new businesses being created on the back of local resource flows, you know, and a lot of that is about just analyzing what's happening at a local level. The challenge for us is is how do we scale that up? That goes back to your second point around how do we 
turn those opportunities into things at scale could, that could work at a national level or even at a, a UK level or even an international level. And that's, so that does need a little bit more of that creativity around economic modelling, uh, potentially thinking about how does the public sector or national governments actually become the kind of market maker? How does it actually create those markets through procurement, through, yeah, it could be policy, it could be legislative drivers, it could be fiscal instruments. How could it then see what's happening? So it's really about it reaching in into actually those local solutions that are being driven now by local businesses, local entrepreneurs working together. How could it look at that through the lens of how can I make this work at scale? What are the things I could do? What are the levers that a national government could pull to actually make these things happen? Because this is happening. I mean, you think I, I say a lot of times the circular economy is happening. There's reasons for it happening. You know, A, because of the opportunity, B, because of things like supply chain challenges, both locally and globally, it is happening. We could talk about material resilience and material security uh, as well. So this is beginning to happen. So the real opportunity for us is how much of this do we want to harness for local economic and social benefit in terms of local jobs and opportunities through reuse and repair that could allow more accessibility for people, particularly going through a kind of uh, cost of living crisis, to good services and products. Uh, that are affordable to them at a local level. This is a massive opportunity for us, but we need to really, for me, is to stop, you know, the two-horse race here. You know, we're talking about entrepreneurship and circular economy over there. We're still talking about waste management and policy over there, and we need to bring that together. Totally, and it's, it's really fascinating listening to you talk, Ian, because you, you, you describe a, a world that is fairer, regenerative, and, and more local. All of those things are things that we see as positives, and... Um, and I guess the challenge is getting the entrepreneurial thinking that we sometimes see in business, not always, um, and we sometimes see in local authority, but but not always, and taking that and elevating it to a new level. So that there's a skills gap there for absolute certainty. So back, back to you, Steve. How do we recruit the local authority waste and resources management officers of the future? How do we skill them and how do we give them wings and let them fly? I think... The new generation of talent that's coming through have got a range of skills that, dare I say, my generation and Ian's just didn't develop at a young age. So Ian mentioned digital earlier and they they come with some of those skills and they come with the ideas and creativity. I, I think some of it's about providing the opportunities for them to, as you say, to fly. So to give them projects, give them some budget and, and some space to to explore and experiment. We've got loads of great contacts as organisations with our partners. So whether that's contractors, whether that's voluntary and charity groups in our local areas, developing social value. So I think it's about providing those introductions, making those um, opportunities available and also linking in more with the education sector. So we, we've had a few local projects with our local universities and I know a lot of authorities have created projects, internships, apprenticeships with their local uh, education providers. So creating those links and then creating the space is a part of it. Um, Ian mentioned actually bringing people together, you know, the the waste sector is a bit jargony and a bit, I was going to say, closed shop, but it's a bit of an inaccessible world and a bit of an uninteresting world to, to many that don't work in it. But actually, events like 
this year's expo at the NEC that Ian mentioned are broadening out and, and it's linking in with all the other environmental services sectors. Loads of young people are really interested in environmental issues, much more concerned maybe than older generations about climate change. And they might not see themselves as moving into a, a role in the waste sector, but they might be really interested in making a difference to the environment. So our sector getting involved in that wider environmental movement uh, and having events that appeal to a wider audience is another way to attract talent, absolutely. Totally, yeah, and I get that. And look, you know, looking forward, looking at some of the hot topics that we might have coming up, what, in your opinion, are the, are the topics, the, the pertinent issues, and therefore the skills gaps that we're going to see and can you illustrate your answer with with some some examples? I'll go to you first, Ian. Yeah, I mean, I still think that the whole topic that we try and navigate around is is the whole consumption piece, and particularly for the waste industry, that's a challenge because you could argue that the waste industry and the recycling industry actually makes us money from the degree of overconsumption, you know, oversupply of goods, uh, products, and materials. And I, I really do think we all need to tackle that, you know, as society, both as individuals and as businesses. And people are beginning to talk about that or certainly individually beginning to reflect on that in terms of the knowledge that we have now about the, the impact of our overconsumption, both from a carbon point of view, but more importantly from a resource point of view and the impact that's having on things like biodiversity loss and, you know, global inequality. I think for the waste industry, I think that's something that is coming, you know, it needs to be more to the fore. It needs to be the hot topic. We need to understand what is our role, you know, as an industry to really help shape a better consumption behaviour for from a global society. We need to really understand that. And, you know, us to, to some extent, you know, waiting for the stuff to fall out of, society for us to kind of manage it isn't isn't the answer you know we i think we have a role we've talked about it already but we need to be pushing back on the you know to some extent the politicians when we're going for these consultation after consultation about your know, new policies we need to keep saying the same thing that all of this is all very well but we actually need to tackle the consumption we need a better design not just of the products but design of the business model so we're not sitting at the end of the pipe trying to tackle it at that point. So no matter how efficient we are, no matter how effective we are, and, and you know, as an industry, we've, we've proven the case over and over again, we've got more efficient. We're helping that consumption by getting rid of materials as quickly as possible from whether it's your household or from the back, back door of your business. So we're actually, you know, we're not really helping. In the way we need to slow that process down, you know, we need to kind of push that, that, that challenge back up right through businesses and say, look, this is, you know, we need a new discipline. We need to start thinking differently about, you know, how we segregate ways, how we separate ways and engage not just with individual business, but by policymakers. You know, that's the biggest challenge, both not just for us here in the UK, but globally, the consumption. We do need to tackle that and climate change and weather and all things, you know, become more real to us. Uh, ultimately, as our, you know, the way that we deal with our resources, both upstream and downstream that are really going to drag us down. So, Maybe that's not the hottest topic that people talk about on the on the floor of you know RWM or in waste management circles, but we do. Yeah, if there's any business sector that really needs to take that on, it's us. To some extent, we don't want to be in this job of waste and resource management in the way we are now. We need to push this back and say, look, we can do all the logistics, we can do all the interesting stuff, we can engage with all the collaborative partners and academia to solve some of these solutions, but we definitely need a new paradigm in terms of consumption. The one we've got now isn't working. No, you're right. You know, we sh we shop as an antidepressant and as and a as a leisure activity. And I love the idea. I've got this idea of you know we've got a bath 
and, and our job is to put the biggest plug hole in the bath ever so the water goes through. And what we're saying is let's make the plug hole smaller and get someone to turn the tap off. That to me is that perfect analogy. And I, and I really like that, Ian. And what we're tinkering with here, Ian, in your revolutionary zeal is a, a new form of capitalism. And I've been writing circular economy business models for years. And you can make more money by selling less stuff and therefore consuming less. And that has to be where, where we go. Um, so, Steve, from your perspective, what are the hot topics, one of the, the issues that you see looming um, most urgently? Yeah, um, I'd just like to follow on a bit from what Ian said, because he mentioned behavior in there. And I think there's a massive role, isn't there, for us to play in terms of trying to encourage different behaviors that start to turn that tap off. We've seen certain sectors revolutionize and as a result stop contributing as much material into into the waste stream. So we've all got a box of CDs and DVDs in the loft, but we don't get them out and play them anymore. That used to be a massive industry that was generating huge volumes of material. It's all moved to streaming now. So that's moved to a much more circular product and a, a much less resource intensive approach and you're starting to see that as well with cars i mean cars are a, a huge material consumer but more and more cars are, are, you know a significant majority of cars in the uk now are leased rather than bought and that's moving to a different business model and maybe it's not too far to imagine that people can move from leasing a car all the time to leasing a car just when they need it, which is only a fraction of the time that that car exists. And so multiple people can then use the same car. So I think trying to uh, nudge and encourage those behavior shifts and those types of products that can make a significant impact in terms of reducing resource consumption is exactly how we can help to start to turn that tap off that you described, Matt. And, and there are some really interesting social norms that we need to break there. And if we stick with cars just for a minute, because I know a little bit about this, if we look at the amount of research that, for example, General Motors did last year on car sharing, it was in the multi-millions of pounds of social anthropological research. How do we deal with each other in places that, that, that are ours or that we perceive as being defensible space, i.e. a vehicle? And it's kind of, it's almost like the last bastion, the last hurrah of that industry, which in reality, we know a circular car is still a car. A shared car is, st is still a car. The future will be different forms of mo mobility, maybe. Um, but the social norms that are associated with car sharing are just one example of the challenges that we face. But we can do that when it comes to Airbnb. You know, we, we're kind of willing to yield and bend. So this combination of resources, economics, um, circular economy, business models, and then shifting our behavior. This is what we would call a wicked problem. And I'm really interested in um, where you see advances here and where you see a sticky patch, a little patch of quicksand where we're not making um, great progress. I'll go with, with you first, actually, Steve, and then I'll, I'll go to Ian and give him a little more time to think. Yeah, no, Airbnb is another great example, isn't it? So this is where someone's creativity has has realized that we've got underutilized resource on the one hand and people that need it on the other hand and how do we bring those two things together 
and in the uh, overnight stay space, that's Airbnb, and we've got similar things with parking and so on. It's really interesting to see those those kind of models moving, isn't it? I'm not sure in, in terms of big areas of sticky patch. I, I think one of the issues that we've absolutely got a problem with is dealing with historic products and some of the materials that we used in historic products. So uh, POPs, persistent organic pollutants, are one of the things that's come into industry jargon, certainly in the last few years, in a, in a much more focused way, because things like sofas, soft furnishings are full of fire retardants that are nasties that don't break down in the environment and need specialist disposal. And I think we're going to uncover a few more of those sorts of problems within the sector where the things that we've used in the past are going to prevent older materials from playing a part in that circular economy in the same way and just need taking out of the resource stream. And so I guess the lesson in there absolutely for the future is that we shouldn't be producing things that don't have a clear circular model attached to them and that can't be recycled, can't be reused safely. Wonderful. Thank you, Steve. And then Ian, any obvious bits of quicksand or or accelerators that, that you're seeing out there in the world? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll start. I mean, two quick things that are happening. So one, I think the whole uh, fast fashion or certainly things like vintage and stuff like that, younger people now engaging. I mean, whether they think they're engaging with the circular economy or not, but that, that type of business model, you'll see much more use of that. There's definitely been an uptick in second-hand clothing, retail and stuff like that. And some of that I absolutely accept has been driven by cost of living crisis. Some of that's just trends. You're beginning to see a lot more of that and you're beginning to see different types of business models coming through and even the high street. You know, some of the main retailers are now embedding, you know, reusing in in their business model. I think that's going to grow. And, I, and to some extent, that's not been driven by the waste management industry. That's been driven by, you know, those businesses and young people. I also think from our, from our point of view, we're beginning to see a lot of interest, obviously, in the renewables and deployment of, uh, you know, net zero infrastructure or that's offshore wind. So what's really exciting about that is, I mean, I know there's some existing challenges, you know, in terms of blades and stuff like that, but you're now seeing a real shift in how those industries or those industry leaders are thinking about the deployment and thinking about the circularity. And a lot of that has been driven again by you know, resource security or access to resources, the critical materials that we know they're going to have to use to, to deploy that infrastructure at scale, you know, not just here in Scotland, but globally. So there's another driver there, but they're now beginning to really think through the supply chains. And now what's, what's really interesting about that, that's a new industry. So the opportunity is there. You're not going into a 150, 200-year industry and trying to shift it. You're going into an industry which is at, which is scaling up considerably at global level, but actually thinking seriously about building in circularity from day one. That is really exciting, and I think other industries should be looking at that as a model because it, yes, it's, it's exciting, but it is being driven by other pressures, uh, which I think is coming down the pike for a lot of our other industries. I, I guess the challenge, the, 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 one of the barriers that's to something sticking, you've mentioned it already, is cars, isn't it? I mean, that is still, as you say. You know, we're still seeing the solution for, for net zero is just electrification of cars. It's still material. Where's all those materials going to come from to deploy all of those cars, you know, onto our streets? And what's that going to cause in terms of maybe not so much pollution in terms of uh, emissions from the exhaust pipe, but, you know, we know all about tires. We know about all the other issues in terms of electrification. So there's a real challenge there about how do we 
you know, use examples, for instance, from the renewables, the net zero deployment. How do we bring those into the main and say, look, there are solutions. You can realign your supply chain. You can get people engaged in this, whether it's young people or otherwise, to see there's a different approach that's needed. So I did, you know, I genuinely think there's a positivity story. And I think going back to Spotify is really interesting because it's obviously a credible example of how markets shifted. But no one was calling out for something like Spotify before Spotify launched. You know, when we were all, you know, quite interested with our tapes and our CDs and our vinyl, we all went through that kind of thing as a journey. But no, nobody was sitting around, no waste management industry types were all sitting around and saying, look, we need to eradicate CDs. They're a bloody nightmare. We need something to come up with a different model. It came from less seal and it completely revolutionized in terms of materials. So, okay, we could debate the impact of that in terms of market economy, but I'm just trying to say that these things will subtly appear and we've got to create the right environment, the right entrepreneurship, or the right creative environment, both nationally and locally, to allow those conversations to happen between individuals who will really make these things happen at pace. That's what our job is to some extent, not get bogged down in the language of waste and recycling, but to create the environment for people to come forward with those ideas. And some of them will fail, some of them won't get further, further, or, you know, but ultimately these people will make these things happen because that's the exciting part of the economy going forward. Entrepreneurs are not sitting there feeling depressed about the kind of policy vacuum. They're seeing real opportunities because there's markets being made. There's drivers, whether that's young people, whether it's entrepreneurs, there's an excitement around the shift. There is, you know, we're in it, and maybe that's a challenge for us. You know, sometimes when you're in the middle of a shift, you don't really realize it until it's over or you look back after 20 years. But we're in something that's really exciting. And I think, you know, we need to just get involved in those conversations and really see how we can facilitate that kind of shift in the way resources are being managed. Ultimately, we need to have that conversation about you know, the direction of reducing consumption. And it is exciting. I think Ford said it best in the, in the recent cuts in or changes to the to the net zero targets by, by government. It, it needs to know that nothing's going to change. It needs that consistency of policy. And I think there is a frustration that that doesn't exist, particularly in England, actually. And I think that that, that needs resolving pretty urgently. Um, Ian, just to wrap up, what is your key takeaway from this conversation um, in terms of how we leave the audience? I mean, to some extent, embrace the journey we're on uh, and to facilitate the creativity spirit that we need. I mean, I, I talk a lot about that. You mentioned entrepreneurship. I tend to sometimes think about that whole digital revolution that we're now trying to enable digital literacy across the economy. So that's not, okay, there's some real technical experts that's needed in terms of how to apply it, but we all need to be digitally enabled, whether we're in, you know, working at home, uh, you know, our social aspects, we all have smartphones now, or in any business, you need to be digitally enabled. Uh, it's very similar in our space. We need to be almost circular economy enabled across all our our businesses. So uh, we need to create the environment for that creativity, entrepreneurship, circular thinking, and everything that we do, not just with the waste industry, but every business needs to be thinking that, but ultimately every consumer needs to be thinking to you know thinking about circularity, how they can engage with it, whether that's reuse, whether it's second hand shopping, whether it's thinking about service uh, rather than purchasing something, you can go back to car sharing, all of those things. How do we create a different mindset in our economy? That's what's needed because it is we are seeing this happen now. This is beginning to shift for all the reasons we've stated that it's about how do we get on that journey to make the most of it for our own societies, our own communities, our own individual uh, happiness to some extent and really get on board. That's that's critical to this work. 
Thank you. Um, and then um, from you, Steve, what, what, what's your key takeaway? I guess it's just to remind people that this isn't some sort of binary choice between economy and environment. The green economy is the future economy. There isn't a choice there. And there are going to be more and more green jobs. There are more and more business opportunities, as Ian's uh, talked about. There are more and more positive choices that people can make. And we've not talked so much about social value. Ian mentioned it a bit. But again, you know, we can drive real social value through the shift to a, a more circular economy. And so it's not economy versus environment. It's economy through environment, I think. Totally. And, and it always has been. It's just that for some reason, classical economists put them in opposition to one another. I've really enjoyed this conversation because the picture that we painted is, a, is, is of a creative, democratically locally buoyant, regionally buoyant, very rich economy that, that talks of a better world. Forget the, the threats need dealing with. If we do this right, we, we, we all grow anyway. This has been a brilliant conversation. Thank you both enormously. Thank you for listening in. That's the last episode in this Leading the Way to a World Beyond Waste podcast series from CIWM and Content with Purpose. I, for one, have learned an awful lot by talking to experts in the sector, and I can see a sector that is only going to grow and become more important. I always see this sector a bit like athletics as a sport. It builds all the other sports. And if we get the resources sector focused, and if we get the resources sector fit, then every other sector will grow strong as a result of it. So please feel free. You can listen to these again. You can dig into the resources that we've got online and keep growing, keep learning, and keep listening to podcasts like this. Thank you. Thanks once again to the sponsors of this episode, Smart Environmental Support Services and Norse Group. You can read, watch, and learn more about their work and about the full Leading the Way to a World Beyond Waste digital series by going to wellbeyondwaste.ciwm.co.uk. And don't forget to visit contentwithpurpose.co.uk or find us on socials to check out more of our podcast collaborations. Mm-hmm.